Our scripture today comes from the New Testament, two places in the New Testament. The first from the Gospel according to Matthew, the 11th chapter, verses 2 through 11. Hear the word of God. When John heard in prison what the Messiah was doing, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or are we to wait for another? Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk. Those with skin disease are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. And blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. And they went away, and Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What, what did you do? What, what did you go out into the wilderness to look at? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? Someone dressed in soft robes? Look, those who wear soft robes are in royal palaces. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, no one has risen greater than John the Baptist, yet the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Our second lesson from Romans chapter 13. Paul writes and says, Owe no one anything except to love one another, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know what time it is, how it is now the moment for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we became believers. The night is far gone, the day is near. Let us then lay aside the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us live honorably as in the day, not in reveling and drunkenness, not in debauchery and licentiousness, not in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. This, this is Christ the King. We are grateful that we have been told to make our way to Bethlehem and pray that as we ponder these words, they would lead us closer, that we may as well receive him. For we pray this in his name. Amen. I am a sucker for Christmas lights. It's one of the many, many, many things I love about Christmas, Christmas lights. I love driving around and seeing what people do with Christmas lights. It's what I really like, what other people do with Christmas lights. <laughs> I do not have the spiritual gift of Christmas lights. I've attempted many times, but I'm just not good at it. But some people are really, really good at it, and it's a wonder to behold. I love driving through our neighborhood. We just did this last night. 
and uh, see what people do with their homes. I love driving around other people's neighborhoods. There's one neighborhood in town where the whole neighborhood has come together and they kind of, you know, do this Christmas wonderland. I love driving around UTC Mall and seeing the amazing display of Christmas lights, thanks to one of our very own here at Church of the Palm. We got some wonderful lights out on our old oak tree out there that are pretty awesome, make a point to stop by in the evening and see them in their glory. I've got a guy who lives not too far from us who's gone a little overboard. <laughs> he has just about every Christmas character you could think on his lawn. With the amount of Christmas lights he has on his property, I'm beginning to be convinced that he has disrupted the entire Christmas light supply chain. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you can see his display from the space station. Christmas lights are important for us down here in Florida because we cannot count on other environmental support for Christmas. No frost on the windows, no blanket of snow on the ground, no chill in the air, unless you consider 55 degrees a chill in the air. So we have to make up for it with lights, right? And so when the lights go up, we can say, ah, oh, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Of course, what's disappointing about this effort to enlighten the world at Christmas is that eventually the lights come down. Little by little, the lights begin to fade away. Usually there are one or two folks, however, who hold out for a while, mid-January, the end of January, and the lights still shine. Maybe Mary and Joseph and Jesus and the shepherds and the wise men still hold forth on the front lawn, just not wanting Christmas to go away. Suckers like me never want Christmas to go away. When Christmas goes away, it means we have to lean back into the world, it's a world no longer prettied up, no longer enlightened, no longer everybody trying to put on their best behavior. Early in C.S. Lewis' story, the line in which in the wardrobe, a little girl named Lucy enters through the back of a wardrobe into a parallel world called Narnia. And when she arrives into this world, it's winter. Snow is on the ground and the air and sky are cold and gray and cloudy. And she happens upon a fawn by the name of Tumnus, Mr. Tumnus, who invites her into his home. And when Lucy inquires of Mr. Tumnus concerning this world that she's entered and how cold it is, Mr. Tumnus explains that the world is under the spell of a wicked witch and because the witch has Narnia under her spell, the world has become a fearful and wicked place. So mean and nasty is this wicked witch that she makes it winter all the time. Always winter, says Mr. Tumnus, always winter and never Christmas. Think of that. Always winter and never Christmas. It may just be the thought that prompts John the Baptist to ask his question. John is in a prison cell now. He is a victim not of the wicked witch, but of the wicked king, mean old King Herod, who has managed to make it winter and never Christmas. Thrown John into jail because he dared to speak the truth, dared to prophesy that a new king was coming to town. No, John, King Herod says, in this land it's always winter and never Christmas. So when you sit in your cell long enough, you begin to doubt maybe your own hopes, your own prophecies. So John sends to Jesus this question. And the question is, is it ever going to be Christmas? It's a rather loose translation of the Greek. <laughs> More precisely, John says to Jesus, are you the one to come? 
or shall we wait for another? Is Christmas coming to town or do we have to wait for another season? And Jesus says, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. Tell John, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. It reminds me of a trip I took in the New York City when I lived just a short train ride from the city. I was going in for a meeting and it was Advent and after the meeting was over I had some time to kill so I decided to do my little walking tour of Midtown Manhattan during Advent and went up to the Rockefeller Center and saw the great tree with its lights and the skaters and the Herald Angels and the windows at Saks Fifth Avenue and then it was past Radio City Music Hall and the posters hanging there announcing the Christmas show and the Rockettes and then it was Times Square where the big crystal ball was being placed for the big New Year's drop. It was beginning to feel a lot like Christmas. And then down past Macy's where they had this big sign that said, if you haven't seen Macy's, you haven't seen Christmas. Really? <laughs> and then just then, I noticed a few feet ahead of me on 34th Street, an old man sitting on a heating grate, his back propped up against the building. He was sitting there, of course, to stay warm. And next to him, a young man kneeling beside him. He had with him a big kettle of soup and a ladle, and he was ladling soup out of the bucket into a paper cup and giving it to the man it's as much as I saw, but I wondered if what I was seeing was what Jesus was talking about. Tell, tell John, there's a young man with a soup and ladle feeding a poor man. Tell John, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Remember that point in A Christmas Carol, Charles Dickens' classic Christmas story where Bob Cratchit and Tiny Tim come back home from church on Christmas Day, and Tiny Tim is the sickly Cratchit boy who's unable to walk, and Mrs. Cratchit asks her husband how Tiny Tim did in church, and, and Bob says, oh, as good as gold and better, but, but somehow he gets thoughtful sitting by himself so much and thinks the strangest things you ever heard. He told me coming home that he hoped people saw him in the church because he was a cripple, and it might be pleasant for them to remember upon Christmas Day who made the lame beggars walk and the blind men see. So when John, Jesus answers John, he reminds us something about Christmas, and that is that Christmas is the start of something. When the baby is born in Bethlehem, when the rabbi Messiah walks the trails of Palestine, the reign of the wicked one is coming to an end. Winter is beginning to melt and flowers are blooming. Goodness is making its way into the world. Sins are forgiven. Brokenness is mended. Good news is preached. The hungry are fed. The lame begin to walk. And when we join in that parade, when we accompany the Messiah into the dark corners of the world, when we bring our soup and ladle, we bring our own light to play and announce that a new king has come to town. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her 
king Christmas points us back to something we've known for a long time and that is that the real joy the real spirit the real lights of Christmas have everything to do with what this Messiah is up to the the goodness he brings into this winter laden world his very own version of global warming years ago I was talking to a gentleman nearing his death I asked him because it was Christmas time I asked him what was a Christmas that was most meaningful to him in his life he paused for a moment and then said well if I if I had to pick one it would have been back in 1950 in 1950 I was a army reservist and much to my surprise had been called into active duty when the Korean conflict broke they had sent to Germany they had sent us to Germany to backfill the troops that were on their way to the Korean Peninsula well it was close to Christmas and it wasn't what I had planned I had two little boys and a wife back home and just couldn't understand why they needed me here in the backyard of an enemy we had fought just five years earlier it just didn't feel like Christmas it was around then the man said that the division chaplain came by and told him that they needed some help he was collecting toys and food and could he help well toys and food for what oh you'll see he said so for the next couple of days they collected toys and food and a few more soldiers and on Christmas Day they loaded up their trucks and drove a few dozen miles away to a little campus of buildings off the highway and with their bags and toys and boxes of food they walked into the main building and there wall to wall table after table after table were scores of German orphans little children left behind by the ravages of the war just ended and so the man said we opened our bags and child by child we gave our gifts to the children of our once enemies we served our food, we poured our milk, we made them laugh, we sang our songs, we watched them smile. And there wasn't one of us that didn't want to bring one of those kids home. Funny, said the man, what I thought would be my worst Christmas turned out to be my best. You see, with Christmas comes a conspiracy conspiracy of goodness and hope a conspiracy to melt the sin and sadness of the world's winter with the love and grace of the Bethlehem baby to string up our own endless lights or as the apostle tells us to lay aside the works of darkness and to put on the armor of light let me tell you about a little boy named Arnold Arnold Cruz in a previous life of mine and in a previous church the good lord had led our congregation to begin mission work in honduras another region though of honduras from where church of the palms serves the copan region and our honduras team met there arnold when arnold was four years old he was brought us by his parents because arnold was very sick he was suffering from kidney disease he needed a kidney transplant his Hard-working father Freddie was a tailor but forced to leave his trade due to failing eyesight. In Honduras, with no blue cross, blue shield to save the day, what all this means is just another child who lives a very brief life. Except, in Arnold's case, there was a conspiracy afoot. Uh, 
conspiracy, shall we say, of Christmas. Folks in that church, when they heard Arnold's story, said they couldn't let this happen. We've got to string up lights for Arnold. And through the sacrifice and generosity of many, Arnold was given the chance to receive his transplant, and along with the loving, sacrificial service of his parents, Arnold continued to receive treatment and finally was able to be returned to his friends to mess around like boys do. The same church along the way had built a school for kids like Arnold who didn't have money to go to public school and Arnold started attending the school and when it came time for graduation, a few folks from the church flew down so that they could be at Arnold's graduation. Oh, not just to celebrate his graduation but to celebrate valedictorian Arnold Cruz. Tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. Tell John it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. In a few days, it will be 10 years since a madman walked into Sandy Hook Elementary School in Newtown, Connecticut, one of the darkest days that left 26 beatless hearts. One of the little boys, Jack Pinto, played Pop Warner football and always wore the jersey of his hero, another young man named Cruz, New York Giants wide receiver, Victor Cruz. Jack loved that jersey so much they decided to bury him in it. When Cruz got the word that through Twitter that the little boy would bear his number, he knew where he had to be. He had to go where goodness and light goes away from the stadium lights to the lights of a living room in Newtown. That's where the conspiracy needed him, doing something he wasn't trying to do, comforting a grieving family. But the light shines in the darkness. The same light I saw a few nights ago when I was walking out of the office building, it was late and the first thing I could see were those lights that were wrapped around the tree. They had just put up, been put up that day, and they were beautiful. And then I turned and saw another light, and it was a light that was coming out of the anteroom of the campus center. And it's where we normally pack groceries. And I wondered, well, maybe somebody had left on the light. So I walked over and peeked in, and there they were, <laughs> late in the night, packing groceries. The light shines in the darkness. No lights got strung on that Bethlehem stable, I suppose, because there was plenty of light in the manger. And plenty of light for the whole year round, wherever the conspiracy might take us. Tutor a child, pack some groceries, hand out toys, label soup, show up in a living room of grief. The real lights of Christmas never come down. The conspiracy is always afoot. The version, the new version of global warning, warming. For in Bethlehem, it's beginning. Oh, but it's just beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Christmas.